A number of years ago in Colombia, civil war was raging as rebel groups fought against the Colombian state. One day, the Colombian army set a bomb off against a group of rebels. And one rebel in particular was struck by the bomb, and it's pretty obvious to everybody that he must have died because they couldn't even find his body. Turns out the blast launched him almost a thousand feet from where he stood. Now, to the Colombian army, this meant that there was one less rebel they were going to have to deal with. To the rebel forces, it was one last soldier for their cause. But to the Christians in Colombia, this meant something different. That rebel was also a prolific persecutor of Christians. He hated the church, hated Christians, hated Jesus Christ. Uh, he saw Christians as ignorant enemies. So for years, he had made it his goal to disrupt church meetings, threaten church leaders, and do everything he could to stop the advancement of Christianity in Colombia. That man had set himself up as an enemy of God. And it seemed like that day, God's judgment had finally come on him when that bomb went off. But God really is long-suffering towards lost sinners. That is, God, God shows this incredible and great patience towards people, with which he allows even the most hateful hearts to have the opportunity to find him. See, miraculously, that rebel, he survived the explosion and the fall that resulted from it. And he was found that day by none other than two Christians in the area, a husband and wife. They took him to their home, and they took care of his wounds. And it was there in their home that this war-torn, hate-filled soldier was given a Bible and shown the love of Jesus Christ. It didn't take very long before he couldn't stand it anymore. He couldn't deny the gospel truth any longer. He couldn't deny Jesus Christ. He gave his life to Jesus. And then he began going around and asking forgiveness from all those believers that he had wronged over the years. And church, only Jesus Christ can so deeply and radically change hard and hateful hearts. It's only by the truth and power of the gospel that people are able to see the depths of their sinfulness, their need for a Savior, and then can turn to the only one who can save them from sin and hell. You see, the gospel, the gospel changes everything. That's why we talk about it all the time here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. Now, gospel, gospel means good news, and it's the good news about Jesus Christ. Gospel is all about Jesus. It's about how Jesus, the Son of God, took on a human body, and came to this broken, sinful world to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for the things we had done. And after he died, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead three days later. And now he offers forgiveness and eternal life to everyone who comes to him in faith. That's the gospel. It's what we're all about here, and it's what the book of Romans is all about. Today, we're going to begin a new sermon series as a church through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn there to Romans chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one of the Bibles here in the sanctuary underneath the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 911. Page 911, Romans chapter 1. This book of Romans, this, this letter that was written, it contains a lot of rich truths for us. And there are a lot of themes in the book of Romans, but the gospel stands at the forefront. 
In fact, the book of Romans led individuals like Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley to salvation. Those men went on to change the world for God's kingdom. My prayer is that as we study this book, it would change our lives too. As we begin this morning, we're going to see some of the ways that the gospel changes everything. So let's look together. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Now let's stop here for just a minute. Keep your place there in Romans chapter 1. This is a letter that was written by Paul, and Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us have probably heard that word, apostle. just want to make sure we understand it. Uh, in its basic sense, apostle means a messenger, someone who is sent. And the apostles of Jesus were sent out with the message of the gospel. But more than that, those who held the office of apostle were the ones who had also been witnesses of the ministry and resurrection of Jesus. That's why the office of apostle is closed today. Right? The apostles in the early church, they had a ministry of authority that was accompanied with powerful signs from God that proved their apostleship, and that included Paul. But you see, Paul, Paul wasn't always a follower of Jesus. No, like the man that I talked about a few minutes ago, Paul once hated Jesus and everybody who followed Jesus. When we are first introduced to Paul in the Bible, we find him giving his approval to the murder of Stephen, who was a Christian sharing about Jesus with others. After that, the book of Acts tells us that Paul started rounding up, trying to destroy the church, gathering Christians, and tossing them into prison. That was Paul. See, no doubt, like so many other Jewish leaders, Paul saw Christianity as a dangerous sect that deviated from the scriptures. He didn't see Jesus as the fulfillment of scripture. One day as Paul set out to round up some of those pesky Christians in Damascus, a light flashed all around him, brought him to his knees. He was confronted by Jesus, the very one that he was fighting against. Paul came face to face with the gospel truth in that moment, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the only one who can save us from sin and hell. And that truth grabbed hold of Paul, and he never let go. Hate for Jesus had once defined Paul, but now Paul, Paul called himself a servant of Jesus. Well, Paul, the persecutor of Christians, soon became Paul the proclaimer of Jesus Christ. The gospel truth changed Paul, and it changed his identity. He's no longer an enemy of God, he was a follower of Jesus. He was no longer a Pharisee. Now he stood as an apostle called by Jesus Christ, all because Paul was changed by the gospel. And the gospel isn't a deviation from Scripture, as Paul once thought and as others did in his day. No, Paul says the gospel was promised beforehand. Its beginning reaches all the way back to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. 
And prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament revealed more and more of it, but it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When he came to this earth, took on a human body, and proved his divinity when he rose from the dead. You see, that same Savior who changed Paul forever has changed many others. Paul wasn't the only one whose identity was changed when the gospel grabbed hold of his heart. So were we, believers. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 6. Paul wrote, And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter was written to Christians in Rome, and listen to how Paul describes them. They belong to Jesus. They're loved by God. Children of the Father in heaven. They are God's holy people. As some translations rightly put it there, they are called saints. And you know what? All these things define us today too, believers. But we need to remember that it wasn't always this way. See, the Bible tells us that before we followed Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were once slaves to sin. We were destined for wrath. We were those walking on the broad path headed for eternal destruction in hell. We were enemies of God, children of the devil. We were spiritually blind without hope in the world. These were the things that defined us. But then by God's grace, we heard the gospel. And having put our faith in Jesus Christ, that's changed everything for us. Like Paul, our identity has changed. We're no longer separated from God. No, now we are the beloved of God. We're no longer children of the devil, but with Paul, we can join in calling God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. We're no longer those walking on the broad path headed for destruction. No, we're walking on the narrow path to life. We're not enemies of God, but as Philippians chapter 3 says, we're citizens of heaven. We are saints. Sinners in this life, yes, that's true. But saints, that is holy ones of God set apart for him. See, by faith in Jesus, everything has changed for us, including our identity. And that change in our spiritual identity as Christians, it should change how we live our lives. The question is, does it change how we live our lives? You know, in the late... 1960s and early 1970s, Chuck Colson was one of the most powerful men in America. Now, he wasn't the president, but he was as close to the president as you can get. Chuck Colson was the special counsel to President Richard Nixon. And you see, Chuck Colson, he would do whatever it took to get things done for the president, to help him get reelected, all sorts of things. Colson even kept a list of enemies, politicians, journalists. He would target political opponents. He was known as the president's hatchet man. They said that he would walk over his own grandma if he had to, to achieve his goals. Chuck Colson, he was a, a ruthless guy, and he was on top of the world until the Watergate scandal came. That's when Chuck Colson's actions came to light. His whole life started to come crashing down. And in the midst of all of that, Chuck Colson was confronted by the gospel truth. He saw all the wrongs that he committed. He saw his deep need for Jesus Christ, and he gave his life to Jesus. But you see, when the news of that got out, people didn't believe it. This ruthless guy, now a born-again believer, 
People were skeptical. In fact, they mocked him. They mocked him publicly. TV, newspapers. But true, true inward change, that change that only Jesus can bring about, true inward change is always going to be seen by outward action. And Chuck Colson was already becoming a changed man. So much so that he was unwilling to lie in order to take a plea deal in court. Instead, he decided to plead guilty for his political crimes. And so he went to prison. He said that it was the price he had to pay to complete the shedding off of his old life and to begin the new one. Then, years later, when he was released from prison, Chuck Colson, he could have gone to a lot of different lucrative business opportunities presented to him, but instead, he founded Prison Fellowship, and he spent the rest of his life helping other prisoners and pointing them to Jesus Christ. Jesus changed Chuck Colson's identity. He was a new man now, and that was obvious, because when the gospel grabbed hold of Chuck Colson's heart, his passion changed too. So did Paul's, by the way. Look at verse 8. Paul said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Believers, when, when you heard the gospel and you put your faith in Jesus as the forgiver of your sins and the savior of your soul, that, that changed your identity. And that faith in Jesus should also be changing your life. I'm so confused by Christians who seem to think that our faith is one that can be compartmentalized, uh, reserved for Sunday-only exchanges with people, and then divorced from our daily lives, from our habits and hobbies, from our thoughts and our desires. If you've been saved by faith in Jesus, that faith should change how you're living. Look at the faith of the Christians in Rome who are changed by the gospel. Faith defined that church. Paul said their faith was being reported all over the world, that they were clearly followers of Jesus Christ. The world, the world, knew about their faith. Now, how could the world know about their faith unless they were intentionally making their faith known through their words, through their actions? You know, I started thinking about that this week, and I started wondering, does the world know about our faith? And I understand some of us will think, yeah, but why would the world ever know about the faith of First Baptist Church of Oxford? But what about our county? What about our city? What about our neighborhoods? On an individual level, believers, do, do our own family members know about our faith? 
The believers in Rome, they weren't trying to fly under the radar like we so often do. They weren't afraid to make waves or make their faith known. No, no, no. For these believers who had been changed by the gospel, they must have been passionate enough to make that faith known. And how do we do that? How do we make our faith known? How about by finally being bold to share the gospel with our lost co-workers and neighbors and family and friends, inviting others to church, helping the hurting so we can point them to Christ, and living a life of holiness so that those around us say, what makes that person different? And then using that as the opportunity to share with them what has made us so different and how Jesus has changed us. If the gospel has changed us, that should be seen in a passionate faith. Paul had passionate faith. That's why Paul was excited. He was eager to share the gospel. Look, Paul, Paul wanted to meet these believers in Rome. He wanted to bless them spiritually, to share mutual encouragement. But he also wanted to go to Rome and do some preaching. And I want us to understand what that really means. We need to understand that the same way Christianity was looked down upon in the eyes of the Jews, it was also looked down upon in the eyes of the Gentiles, all the non-Jews. And Paul himself told the Corinthians that the message of the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jews and is foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet Paul wanted to go to the capital of the Roman Empire and tell people about the Jesus he loved so much. We cannot doubt the passionate faith of Paul. Paul wasn't a man standing idly by in his faith, moving through the motions of life, attending church occasionally. Faith in Jesus changed him. It grabbed hold of his heart. Now he eagerly looked to preach the message. Sure, he was called to do that, but so are each of us, believers. Well, sure, it was his obligation, but it's our obligation too. We've been commanded to share the gospel. So it shouldn't just be Paul's passion. It should be ours too. This is why. Look what Paul said in verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Why was Paul passionate about the gospel? It's because he knew the power of it. These are the reasons he was so eager. Paul knew that in the gospel there is the power to salvation. The gospel reveals how those who are in bondage to sin, blinded by Satan, and headed for an eternity in hell can finally be set free, can be forgiven, can be given eternal life, brought into a relationship with God. Only Jesus has the power to set us free from these chains that bind us and the eternity in hell that awaits us. Only Jesus can do that. And the gospel points people to Jesus. If anyone knew and was convinced of the power of the gospel, it was the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul didn't simply just stop persecuting the church when he gave his life to Jesus. Paul went on to become the one who was persecuted. Paul, Paul was flogged on many occasions, beaten with rods. He was once stoned to the point that the people were sure they had killed him, and they left. Enemies had plotted to destroy him. He was in prison, but despite all of this, Paul kept sharing the same message that so many people despise. It was his obligation. It was his eager desire. He was unashamed of the gospel because he knew the power of it. Seems that many Christians 
are ashamed of the gospel today. Maybe it's because we fail to remember or see the power of it. Now, none of us would ever say that we are ashamed of the gospel, believers. We never would. But here, here are some indicators that show we are ashamed for us to evaluate our own lives. One indicator is that we never share the gospel. We stay silent because we're afraid that it'll offend people. It will offend people, by the way. The second indicator is that we convince ourselves that we can share the gospel just by how we live. Don't misunderstand me. Our lifestyle is a great testimony to Jesus Christ. It really is. But at some point, people have to hear the good news. They have to hear how they can give their lives to Jesus Christ. The third indicator is that we fail to ever defend the gospel. We stand by as people trash it, trash God, and treat with contempt the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The fourth indicator that we are ashamed is that we soften the gospel. We soften the message. We make it easier, more palatable to the ears of those who hear. We say things like, oh, quick, just say this prayer and Jesus will save your soul. And maybe we mention the death of Jesus and his resurrection, but we dare not say anything about sin or hell because it will offend people. We need to understand, people will not understand their need for saving until they understand what they need to be saved from. They won't understand that until we tell them the whole gospel message. Church, the gospel will, they will offend people. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who have been saved by it, we see the power of it. And if we've seen the power of it, we should be unashamed of it. We should, like Paul, be unable to contain our passion to share it because we see how the gospel has changed everything for us, how it changed our identity, and so it should be one of our chief passions in this life. Instead, a lot of Christians, we we went through a season where it was a passion of ours, and then things faded away. For many of us, that season was early on in our faith, likely right after we gave our life to Christ. Then the passion faded away. That happens in life sometimes, doesn't it? You know, many of you know that my oldest son loves cars. He loves cars. I don't know why. I don't know where that love came from. It did not come from me. But he's passionate about all things cars. Wheels, engines, types of cars. I don't know. He likes cars. He plays them constantly. Then one day, suddenly, he became passionate about trains all things trains. I've seen all the YouTube videos about trains. No, he still likes cars, but some, some days trains are all the rage. But that's what a lot of kids do, right? They, they bounce from, from one thing to the next over time. They become intensely passionate about something in one moment, and then the other moment, it's like that never existed. They're intensely passionate about something else. And we laugh about it when kids do that, but really that childlike part of us remains even as we grow into adults. And many of us as adults, we we move from one hobby or activity to the next as we grow passionate about something. That's true. But the same thing should not be true when it comes to the gospel. The gospel for us as Christians should remain a deep and abiding passion in our life. If we've been changed by it, if we know the power of it. If we realize that in the gospel is the truth that will change the eternity of our lost family and friends and neighbors, 
If only they would believe it, then we would never stop being passionate about sharing. Just like Paul. And that, that's the type of faith that the world can't ignore. That our community can't ignore. If you're here and Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Bible says that you're a new creation in Jesus. The old is gone, the new is here. Your identity has changed. Not only should we be thankful how Jesus has changed our eternal destiny and our position with God, but we should be able to look at our lives and see all the other ways that he's changing us. How through faith in Jesus, he's making us more holy and more gentle and more loving and more forgiving. And how our faith is impacting the decisions that we make and the actions that we take as we take the gospel to a lost and hurting world. We should be passionate about seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. If we aren't, if the gospel is not one of our eager passions, then that means we've become distracted by lesser things in this life. Church, understand this is the truth this morning. The truth is that those who have been changed by the gospel should not be able to contain their excitement in sharing the gospel. Those who have been changed by it shouldn't be able to contain themselves when it comes to sharing it. And believers, look, I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to have other passions in life. Of course we're going to have other passions. But sharing the gospel should be chief among those things if we know the power of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. If you're in Jesus Christ, then it's changed everything in your life. And we should desire to see it change everything for others as well. So believers, as we close this morning, I'm going to encourage each of you to examine your heart and ask, are you ashamed of the gospel? Or can you join with Paul and say, I'm unashamed of the gospel because I know it is the power of God to salvation. I'd encourage you during our final song of invitation to go to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to open your eyes to the lost individuals that you regularly come across in your lives. Ask Him for opportunities to share the gospel with them. And then let's be bold and let's all do that in our lives. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given Him your life, never gone to Him in faith, if that's true for you, I want you to understand some bad news before you can really grasp the good news. And the bad news is that we have all sinned. We've all broken God's commands. What we do when we lie and cheat and steal and lust and take God's name in vain. And the reason that's a problem is because our sin is separating us from God. And if that sin's not taken care of, we're going to be separated forever from God after this life in a place called hell. In fact, the bad news gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for sin. No amount of good works, going to church, going to Memphis on mission trip, none of these things will save us. That's the bad news. The good news is that even though we are hopeless, left to ourselves, the good news is that God loves us so much, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus came and did the thing that we can't do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, Jesus willingly died on the cross to take our place, all the punishment, all the wrath that we deserve. And after He was buried, three days later, He powerfully rose from the dead, proving that He isn't a mere man. No, He's the Son of God. He's the only one who can save us. And friend, the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll give you eternal life. He'll save you from the penalty of hell. He'll bring you into His family. And I promise you, He'll change your life. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that before you leave.
Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's true for you, if Jesus isn't your Savior, please understand you can come forward during this final invitation song. You can talk with me about it. We can pray together. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus, please know you can do it where you're sitting. doesn't matter what you've been through. doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. Jesus Christ has been waiting your whole life to forgive you and to save your soul and to bring you into a relationship with Him. And if you're ready to do that, you can go to Jesus in prayer and admit to Him that you know you're a sinner. But that you believe that He died on the cross for you. That He rose from the dead. Give Him your life. I promise you on the authority of God's Word, He'll forgive you and He'll save you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who still hasn't made that decision, I pray they wouldn't leave here today before they ask someone questions, before they pray with someone. Father, for those of us who have made that decision, help us never to forget the power of the gospel and what we were saved from, all the things that you've done for us. I pray that every day when we wake up, we would have great joy about our salvation and a great burden for the lost who are in our lives. I pray that you would open each of our eyes to the unbelievers who are in our family, our neighborhoods, our place of work. Help us to be bold about sharing the gospel with them. Help us to be a church that's not ashamed of the gospel, that knows that even though it's a message that will offend people, it is the message that everyone needs to hear because salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So Father, make us bold. Let this be a church where you're glorified in this community. Father, we love you, but you proved long ago when you sent your son that you love us more. We thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen.